Hey, well, good morning, New Breed Church. Good to have all y'all here. Uh, as uh, Pastor Lance said, my name is Andy, and uh, it's a joy and an honor to be here today. I'm the pastor of Outreach at Sojourn Midtown. Um, have been there now for about a year and a half. Uh, before being here in Louisville, uh, I was a church planter in Des Moines, Iowa. Some of y'all, okay, that's a lot of excitement for the uh, blessed state of Iowa. That's great. Um, but uh, yeah, the, uh, it's just, it, it really is a, um, just, a, just a true joy. Uh, many of y'all will not, not even know what a joy it is for me to be here today. So um, uh, first, I just need to give honor to where honor is due, and uh, that is to the man who's actually not present at all, and that is uh, Pastor Michael, uh, the lead pastor here. I had the privilege to be able to meet him last week, and I just know of the labor in which he's doing for this church behind the scenes in so many different ways. So I'm just grateful for him. It's uh, just honoring him right now and just uh, knowing the deep, deep, deep blessing he is to many of you all and what a gift it is. Uh, me being a, a, a pastor knows just the delight it is to have a church that loves you so well to give you and your family a gift of a sabbatical is just a treasured, treasured gift and shows y'all's like intentionality and in caring for your pastors really well. But I know that he is flanked by some incredible men around him. Uh, pastor Lance, who crushed it last week. I got to listen to the podcast. So do brother, thank you. It was a joy, a blessing for me to listen to that message. Uh, pastor Jesse and his hospitality already. Pastor Mike praying me up as well. Um, just been really grateful for these, uh, these pastors um, and they serve y'all really, really well. And uh, I know that. So grateful for them. Uh, but the most important person in this room uh, is this lovely blonde lady sitting right in front of me, and that is my beautiful wife of 13 years, Emily. Um, so, babe, thanks for being here this morning. It's, it's a joy. So, um, well, I'd uh, invite you guys, this is kind of a tradition for me, um, uh, so just bear with me here. I invite you to stand with me, and I will read uh, the passage of Scripture for us out loud. Stand if able. Um, and uh, I'm just going to read this whole thing. Um, I get all of the names, I guess. So y'all toss in the guest speaker to butcher all these names for you. So uh, I'm excited for this text today. I'll read this for us. We'll pray. We'll jump in. This is uh, Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and so that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in the Hierapolis. Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas send you greetings. 
Give, me greeting, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in their home. After this letter has been read at your gathering, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Uh, the title of this morning's text and sermon today is Faithful Mission is Accomplished in Community. Faithful Mission is Accomplished in Community. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we love you. Thank you for this uh, incredible series that this lovely church has gone through this past semester where hope and glory truly lies in, and that is you, King Jesus. Uh, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, and that this morning, this congregation would be emboldened to live on mission together as a result of this text. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. So, uh, the Golden State Warriors, NBA fans, okay, uh, I, I'm a Chicago Bulls fan, and things are not good in my world right now, uh, so we've got a big old train wreck, but uh, Golden State Warriors are a, a four-time defending champions, in case you guys did not know that. Uh, last year, they just had this crazy story of seemingly being out of like any semblance of a conversation in regards to good basketball teams in the NBA, and then like skyrocketed into winning the chip once again. Uh, just unbelievable. Uh, as well as the unbelievable greatest shooter of all time, Stephen Curry, um, the man. Uh, just logo shots after logo shots. Um, on Friday, they played the Phoenix Suns, and Steph Curry dropped 50 points against the Phoenix Suns on his own. His whole team scored 119, okay? So that's how much this dude is rocking it. Now, here's the crazy thing about that, uh, that game. The Golden State Warriors lost. Steph Curry dropped 50 points, and the Golden State Warriors lost. So here's what's going on in the, uh, the arena of the Golden State Warriors. Their team chemistry is horrendous right now. That was their secret sauce, by the way. The thing that like, made the Golden State Warriors unbelievable, yes, Steph's unbelievable, yes, Draymond Green can get in anybody's grill, yes, like, you also got like, Thompson, who can also light it up as well. You have some incredible players that are on that team, but the main thing that got them on the map, the Golden State Warriors and their four chips, was their team ball. It flowed. It was beautiful. It was the best type of team chemistry you could see all over the... It was, Fantastic. But then what has happened this season is Draymond Green has punched one of his teammates in the face. Uh, they are getting all in sorts of fights. Steph Curry is blaming his other teammates for not showing up, putting all the team on his back. Here's what's crazy. Even though one person does heroics like that, it still doesn't matter. It takes a team to win, not just one hero to win. So for a church on mission, that's what's true about all of us here. It doesn't take one incredible preacher, one great leader, one great strategician, one great community development guy. It takes a team, a whole community to be on mission together. That's what we're going to see in this text is that faithful mission is accomplished in community together. So I'm going to lay out two just kind of big chunks of this text. The first is going to be instructions for a community on mission. And the second is going to be descriptions of a community on mission. 
So first, the instructions for those of us in a community, the church, on mission together. Um, And Paul lays out two specific commands in this first chunk here, and this is in verses 2 through 6. The first one is he lays out the power for mission. The power for mission is prayer. The power, the, the fuel that drives the engine for accomplishing mission is prayer. Okay, so look in the text with me. Paul gives a first command here where he says in verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert with it in thanksgiving. Okay, alert or or devotion. So a regular adherence to, a constancy in it. Uh, 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 That that if there's one thing that's going to be described about the regular rhythm of how a community on mission lives their life, it's that they are always in prayer. And they're doing it alert, so, so they're on their toes, they're, they're, they're vigilant, they're aware of their surroundings, they're constantly looking at things to pray for, okay? So they're paying attention to it, and they're doing it with thanksgiving. Did you see that in the text? With thanksgiving. Now, what, what does that mean? When I first saw that, I was like, I don't really know why thanksgiving has to do with like an alertness and a constancy in it. Well, I think in that thankfulness, if we process it, it's actually more of just like a deep assurance. It's like calling the shot before it goes in. Uh, so Emily and I have uh, gone through a lot of different just um, uh, medical things in our lives. Uh, some of them on my end. Uh, my body's very brittle. I got a knee issue right now. I have ankle issues. I'm just a brittle human, fragile. Uh, the sin curse has affected my body dearly. Um, but it's also affected Emily quite a bit too. So we, we've had to go to doctor's appointments before where, man, just sickness with pregnancy, all sorts of crazy things. Um, but when you are so desperate and in need, sometimes you're going to go to a professional and, uh, and to, to seek their help, right? So for us, we walked into the doctor's appointment, finally getting an appointment with a doctor who we knew would be able to help us. And before the doctor even prescribed any medication, we said thank you to the doctor. Before even experiencing the healing of the doctor's profession, we said thank you. We were like full of gratitude. Why? Because we were so confident that this doctor was going to be able to help us. That's prayer and thanksgiving is that you're so confident in the Lord's competency and his goodness and his adherence and his delight in listening to your prayers that you say thank you to him before it even happens. That's a deep confidence in a God that you know loves you, listens to you, capable to fulfill. That's praying with thanksgiving. That's, man, that's some like swagger types prayers of just knowing that he really got you. He really does. And you can thank him for it before it even happens. That's the type of power that goes in within this community, okay? That's the type of prayer that they're praying for. But if you see as well, Paul goes on and he gives a request for prayer. Do you see that in the text too? So he asks a specific request. This is in verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. You guys have been processing through the mystery of Christ all throughout Colossians and that it is this Jesus plus nothing else. Not Gnosticism, not legalism, not Judaism, none of those things. Not masochism, forcing your body into doing crazy different things. It is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the crazy mystery of the gospel Paul's laying out in Colossians, right? But Paul's saying this, in order for this mission to be fulfilled, he's not relying on his theological intellect. He's not relying on his incredible, like, like prophetic, lion-hearted way to step into his space. He's not 
He's not relying on his being the greatest church planter on all time. He's got some good strategy here. The thing that is going to open the door for the gospel to move forward is not his intellect, is not his strategy, is not his passion, it's prayer. That's what opens it up. It's prayer. That is the powerful thing that's going to get it done. It's the power for the mission. That actually is going to give the door open for Paul to stand before the Roman courts, the most powerful entity in the world, and proclaim that Jesus is king, not Caesar. It's going to be prayer that's going to do that. But this is what's also crazy. Paul is asking a bunch of messed up, immature, rural, middle of nowhere, insignificant. He hasn't even seen them face to face before. Group of people to pray for him. The most senior, spiritually mature, whatever that means, uh, 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 greatest like pastor, planter, leader around is dependent upon a bunch of immature Christians to help him out. Right? So two things here then. One, nobody is beyond needing prayer. Nobody's beyond needing prayer. Uh, my son Wesley, uh, the little cute little blonde-haired kid right there who was falling asleep on my shoulder. He was lulled in by the beautiful worship. Um, uh, he just put on his PJs for the first time yesterday. There was a worship service in the Norris kitchen as we're watching uh, Wesley put his PJs on for the first time. Emily and I realized, like, our life is about to change. <laughs> we can now maybe have our two-year-old just dress himself. Isn't that incredible? Like, the freedom, the bandwidth in which we can now function has just, like, skyrocketed up, Right? So in, in every aspect of our life, whether our kids, whether our workplace, whether like interacting in any space, maturity is equated with independence, right? Like in your workplace, how do you know that you're really crushing it? Well, you don't need anybody's help to fulfill your job. How do you know your kids are growing? Well, they don't need your, like, we also have a 16-year-old and a 21-year-old. No, I'm not Benjamin Button. We adopted them out of foster care and adoption. Um, <laughs> But uh, it's, it's horrifying. Some of you parents of teenagers, um, uh, teaching your kid how to drive is the most horrific experience of your life. Um, so, uh, but that, that is an indicator of your child is growing up if they can drive by themselves, right? So we equate it. Uh, independence means maturity. The less I need somebody, the more mature I am. In the kingdom of God, that is flipped on its head. The most mature Christians, the seasoned saints, the ones that you look to and say they're spirit-filled are the ones who are the most dependent upon Jesus for their strength, upon the Holy Spirit to fill them up, and get this, upon the community of saints to flank them in their lives. That's spiritual maturity. It's dependency. So if you're feeling needy right now, I need you to probably know you're probably more faithful than you actually think that you are. Because you're now clinging on to the source of power in your life who can actually help you continue in whatever he's calling you to do in that direction. So then, so no one's beyond needing prayer, but then two, no one's below giving prayer, right? No one's below that. We all need prayer in our life. And whether you just came to Christ like yesterday, <laughs> Did you know that like, uh, in order for, a, uh, in order for like, a light bulb to turn on, uh, the main thing that needs to happen is this. The power source is plugged in. Okay? 
doesn't matter how, like, uh, I don't know, expensive that cord is. doesn't matter, like, uh, just, I don't know, the immaculate way in which that cord is plugged in. All that matters is that it's plugged in. Your prayer is a conduit to the power source of heaven. You just got to plug in. It doesn't matter how long you've been plugging in or if you've been plugging in for the past 80 years. Like, that prayer is effective because it's the source of the power, not the conduit that really matters. Your job is to plug in. And you can intercede on behalf of the king of the universe for even your pastor. And it's that effective. Right? That's the power of prayer. And Paul's needing it in his life. And he's, he's, he's commanding this church to be in community together and to be in prayer as they do so. It's the power of the mission. Okay? So that's the power of the mission. It's prayer. The posture of the mission, though, is wisdom. The posture of being on mission in community is wisdom. So he says in verse five, act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Okay, so you're acting wisely. You're making most of the time, looking for opportunities around you. So Paul is asking for prayer for the open doors on the big time, like opportunity to share the gospel, okay? Open door so that I can stand before the courts of Rome and declare that Jesus is king. Okay, that's big time opportunity. But Paul is saying, but don't forget the little opportunities though. <laughs> like be ready all of the time. Be ready. Don't, don't neglect the little opportunities in preparation for the big ones you're building up for. We got Thanksgiving coming. Who's got some anxiety about that Thanksgiving table with, you know, Uncle Jimmy and your brother-in-law, Sean, who's just ready to just be super antagonistic towards the gospel. Some of us were like gearing up for that Thanksgiving meal to say, Jesus, give me strength to like declare the good news of the gospel in that Thanksgiving dinner. But also don't miss the opportunity to talk to the clerk at Kroger, the clerk at Kroger as you're buying the turkey. Right? As you're gearing up, maybe like planning, like I got some friends here through like a really big block party, right? So like, hey, great platform to declare the gospel, like in incredible ways. Don't, don't also miss the opportunity though to just pray for your neighbor when their mother's sick. There's these little opportunities that we don't want to miss. And Paul's saying be regular, like regularly attentive for any moment, any small moment in your life to be able to declare the gospel. Maybe because sometimes we miss it when we're just thinking of the big time, Right? These little ones, these little faithful moments is when God sometimes does his most beautiful work. But he's also saying make sure you're gracious as you do it, okay? We Christians now in this like election cycles that we're in right now, many Christians are known for their anger and hatred more than their love and their unity. More of them are seen to be aligned in a, a kingdom of this world and a party than they are in the kingdom of heaven. There's a lack of graciousness in our vernacular in the Christian walk right now. So would we be gracious as we're interacting? Would we be kind? You know, the first descriptions of, uh, of what we are going to be known as, as believers, is our love, according to Jesus in John, John chapter 17. They're going to know they're Christians by their love for one another, right? So our graciousness, our love needs to be seen. But it's also seasoned with salt, okay? Um, uh, one of my best friends, uh, his name is Recab. He's a little obsessed with putting salt on his fruit. Uh, we got any fruit? Okay, we got a couple scowls. We have any fruit salters here? People who love salt? Okay, we got a couple. So yes, my reaction was the same as y'all of like, this is nasty. 
why would I put salt on watermelon? That is super gross. Well, here's what salt does. Oh, oh, no, no, we do? Okay, we got, okay, so, so watermelon's fine. Watermelon's okay. So that's all right. Okay, good. But strawberries, okay? Nah, little, we, we got maybe a point. Um, so there's, I'll let y'all figure that out. We'll have a good debate later. Um, so I tried it. It's, it's really good. And it works on kind of any fruit. And here's why. Salt makes the flavor pop. It enhances the flavor. It doesn't take away from it. doesn't turn into something different. It makes it pop. So when you're having fruit, watermelon, it causes it to pop. So when we are engaging with unbelievers, we don't want to bore them. We don't want to burden them. We don't want to make this look like a drag. We want to make the good news of the kingdom of God pop. This is the good life, y'all. This is like what people are looking for. Like, do you talk about how joyful it is to follow Jesus? Do you talk about how sweet it is to follow Jesus? Do you talk about how lovely and good it is to follow Jesus? Oh, there's heaviness. Oh, there's trials. Oh, there's suffering. We're going to get to it in a minute. But boy, it's good. So is our communication with people in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our families, do we make the good news of Jesus Christ pop? Or we cause it to enhance and be incredibly beautiful. So Paul's calling us to do. That's our posture to be taken. So in all of that, in our time, how we're spending it, and the tone in which we are, the truth in which we're speaking it, he's saying that you want to know what you know, right? Of like, like make sure you know the testimony that you're continuing. But all of this is a powerful example that faithful mission is done in community. We are better together as we seek to further God's kingdom on this earth. Listen, you need not only people to remind you of all of these truths. Like, I, we, if you're like me, I just so easily fall into my regular rhythm of laziness, of not focusing on what the Lord is doing around me, of just giving in to the, the pleasures of this world too often. But when I got brothers and sisters in Christ calling me to remember where my true home lies, I'm engaged on mission. You need to be on a team to do this faithfully. But I, I, that, 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 that's what keeps us faithful as we do it. But I want you to know too, it's more fruitful when we do it together. It makes me think of the International Mission Board. Okay, so I'm, I wasn't a Baptist. I now am, kind of. Uh, and so, but this is what I do know. Say what you want. We can talk about that later. Uh, the International Mission Board was started, get my data right, in 1845 by a group of Baptist churches wanting to send some missionaries out overseas. So the first missionary was sent to China in 1845. The model that they built was that we're better together. So let's have all these individual churches throw money into a pot and be about this massive mission to reach the nations. Since then, decades ago is when that started. Since then, the International Mission Board, I have, I have, I have some cousins who are actually IMB missionaries. This is, this is nuts. These efforts have now led to almost 25,000 missionaries being sent to 185 countries around the world, resulting in countless millions having heard and responded to the gospel. Listen, 
there's not one pastor who could effectively reach that much. Because guess what? He's going to die. So this is from 1845 until now. Look at that. That, that, that. that is a community faithfully on mission together. And it's fruitful. God's wired us to do it in community together. Okay, but there's some elephants in the room, though. And it's this. Today, if you're like me, I find that many of us are experiencing a deep tension and conflict as we think about Christian community and the church in 2022. Because that seems like every time I open up a news app, I see a new scandal, a new conflict, a new just slaying of our reputation. I just, it's starting to look like this. Is it actually helpful to be affiliated with the church if we're going to be on mission? Because it looks like it's a bit of a hindrance right now. Right? I don't know if it's just me living in that. It's hard. We've been hit hard seeing how busted up the church really is. Right? Leader scandals, corruption, even in the SBC. Hiding abuse, failing to stand consistently for racial justice. Some atrocities that's been happening. I know many people, including some of my own family members, have abandoned Jesus because of the church. Because they've been burned, they've been hurt, they've seen the hypocrisy. So what's going on? How do we think about that? What do we do? Well, this is why I love all these final greetings. Because when we pause and take a look, this is what I know about this. A church faithfully on mission is a messy one. Really messy. So if we think we're uniquely busted up, well, let's pause and take a minute how busted up these guys are. So let's, let's take a look here. This is the description, my second point, descriptions of a community on mission. So here's the first description that I want to pull out here from these names. They're just names here, but boy, they have stories connected to them. The first description of a community on mission is a community of reconciled relationships. Okay. Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord, I'm in verse 7, I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know how you are and that you may encourage your hearts. Pause. Tychicus, uh, scholars believe, is the one who is standing before the Colossian church reading this letter to everybody. Okay? So he is Paul's messenger. He took the letter that Paul wrote and he is standing before the congregation reading this letter and Paul's saying, hey, you can trust this dude. Okay? But the second person that is mentioned here, which Pastor Lance even talked about last week, is Onesimus. Okay, Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. Who is one of you? Okay, so what, if you dig deep here, the book of Philemon gives us even more indication of what's, what's, what's going on here. So if you know the story, um, Philemon is a slave owner of Onesimus. Onesimus is a servant in his household. Onesimus fled from Philemon, ran away, met Paul when Paul was in Ephesus, came to Christ with Paul, became one of Paul's main dudes. Super helpful, okay? Became a brother in the Lord. Paul then sends him back with Tychicus, who's got the letter of the Colossians in his hand, and he is standing with Onesimus, standing right next to him, as they're reading this whole letter, and guess who's sitting in the congregation? 
Philemon. And Paul says, he's like, Tychicus is reading this out loud. Like, all right, yeah, so I'm reading this. Uh, thank you, Paul. Those are kind of words about me. Oh, uh, and Onesimus. He sees Philemon. He's feeling the awkwardness in the room right now. He is one of you. Onesimus is standing there with a letter to Philemon in his hands, getting ready to give that to his master. We don't know what happened in that story, but isn't that intense? Oh my goodness. Paul, what, what a master politician, by the way. <laughs> like, he didn't mention anything in that letter. Did you notice that? I think it's because he was being really tender in that complicated relationship between Onesimus and Philemon that he wanted to have a private letter given to Philemon. He didn't call him out publicly here. Right? So this is what... Um, many scholars believe probably transpired as Onesimus probably went back into the household of Philemon. But this time not as his servant, but as his brother. Probably as his employee might be a better way to think about it. But here's what's also wild, is that Onesimus clearly had some leadership in this church, being with Paul. He came, being called out, like this is a dude you guys should trust. It's very likely that Onesimus became one of the main leaders in that church. I want you all to think about this. This is Colossians 3 being lived out. There's no, there's no Jew or Gentile. There's no barbarian. There's no slave. There's no free, but all are in Christ. This is what potentially is happening. Onesimus could have become one of the leaders in the church, and Philemon is one of the congregants in the church. So Monday through Friday, Onesimus is working for Philemon. And on Sunday, Philemon's submitting to Onesimus. What a crazy, wacko group of people that are being reconciled together. The Roman citizens would have looked at that and say, these dudes are messed up. But that's the diverse church on display. That there's racial, socioeconomic, generational diversity that is turning the world upside down. And the rest of the community around them is looking and saying, what is going on over there? Yeah. A community that is reconciled like that is super messed up. Boy, they had to work through that. But it's so compelling when Jesus shows up like that. Amen? That's what he does in the church. That type of stuff, that type of reconciliation is what can transpire. Reconciled relationships occur. So next, so that's a community of reconciled relationships. But then there's a community of faithful and flawed leaders. Faithful and flawed. Let's look at Epaphras. So Epaphras is mentioned in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you. Epaphras, by the way, is the church planter and founding pastor of Colossians. Okay, the Colossian church. That's who Epaphras was. So Paul is commending him right now. Epaphras probably left uh, Colossae because of the heresy that was going on, right? The difficulty that they are all working through, what they're, they're supposed to be doing and all that type of stuff. Goes, to, uh, goes up to Paul, spends some time with him, and then Paul sends Epaphras back uh, to minister to the congregation again. Epaphras, who is one of you, servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He's always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature, fully assured in everything God wills. He's working hard for you, the text says. Okay? Are we good? Got it all figured? Oh, just a nice glare. Yeah, that's Shekinah glory on that bad boy. Um, I love the description for how he's working. He's praying for them. 
And Paul describes it as a wrestling match. You see that? That it's a battle. It's an intense work that he is doing on behalf of the church. I want you guys to know that the two primary roles of a pastor in a church is the ministry of the word of God and to prayer. That's the book of Acts. Ministry of the word of God and to prayer. Prayer, which we just mentioned previously about the power. Prayer is the thing that does the most powerful work. This is a, a, one, um, one scholar said it this way. Uh, it's actually, uh, I'm going to make sure I get the quote right here. Um, Samuel Chadwick. He says that Satan laughs at, our to- laughs at our toils, our work, mocks our wisdom, but trembles at our prayer. Trembles. Trembles when a pastor is on his knees wrestling in prayer for the Lord to do his work in the church. That is the work that is doing incredible things in the life of a congregation. It's the work of prayer. And that's what Epaphras is doing. Epaphras is the one laboring, laboring. I want you to know this too. Many of the like really hidden things that are done in secret are the most powerful things that y'all experience. If you're experiencing some incredible blessing happening in the church, I'm going to tell you what. It's probably because someone's just laboring for the Lord to do a powerful work. Also know this too, for some of you mothers in the room, um, I, uh, I, I had a conversation with my brother about this. Um, this was a while back, but he was describing to me his agnosticism, one of my brothers who's bailed on the church. Um, but he told this to me. He goes, you know, I'm still trying to figure out what to do with Jesus. I think I really respect who he is as a man. Uh, there's no way he's God though. So, but more people, if they just acted like him, would probably be better. But he goes, here's what is kind of terrible. I can't seem to get away from Christianity because I think mom prays too much. He's like haunted by the Holy Spirit. So you moms, dads, know this, that that wrestling on behalf of your son or daughter's soul is doing real work. It's the strong, powerful battle type work that's causing Satan to tremble. It's not your apologetics against him or, ch- him or her. It's not you're just like trying to plead, plead, plead for him to show up to church. It's your prayers that's messing him up. Because the Lord hears it. That's the real work. That's the real battle. So that's a faithful leader right there. But then he mentions Demas. So if you look at your Bibles and the cross-references of what the story of Demas is, he's mentioned later in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He deserted Paul. So Colossians was written before 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is probably one of Paul's last letters. Demas is mentioned as being a faithful brother who brings comfort to Paul. And in 2 Timothy 4, Paul says that he loved the world so much that he deserted and betrayed Paul and left the mission. I know some of y'all in here have been super hurt by a leader before who's betrayed you, who's deserted you, who's failed you, who's left you. I know some of y'all have been really hurt by a friend who's done the same thing. 
I know some of y'all are feeling some guilt because you have done the same thing. Church is full of flawed leaders and people. Lecrae's new album, Church Clothes, the final track, is kind of a haunting one. And it's him describing his deconstruction because of how burned he was, specifically in the area of racial justice and kingdom diversity by the white evangelical church in 2015. It caused his train wreck of a faith where he was about done, done with his marriage, done with everything, because leaders in the church betrayed him and hurt him. He's laying it all out there on the track. It's incredibly painful when we're hurt like that because Paul describes us as a body. And when your body betrays you, when your arm gets ripped off because someone left you, you don't recover from that. That's a scar on you that stays and, and, and it becomes a part of you for potentially an unbelievably long time. It causes deep, deep, deep pain. Some of you here this morning and you believe you've been cut too deep to be whole. That you're too far gone to be restored. That what has happened to you is there's too much loss to ever experience flourishing again because it's been done by somebody you loved that you trusted. That perhaps you're even assigning that pain towards God himself. But I want you to know that welcome to the work of being involved in a church full of faithful and flawed leaders, that there's nothing new under the sun, that this is not super incredibly jacked up. It is jacked up, but it's not uniquely jacked up. We've got a lot of history here of our brothers and sisters who have worked through different things, but I need you to know this today too, that there is no such thing as something being done in the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as a cut being too deep in the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as a loss being too great in the kingdom of God. Because there is a Jesus who came who said, I want to be acquainted with that loss. I want to be acquainted with that cut. I want to be acquainted with that pain. I'm going to take it on myself. I'm going to put myself on a cross so that I don't ever have to see my people say, it's done for good. It's over for good. I can't do this anymore because he ended up raising from the dead three days later, didn't he? So that we can say there's always going to be healing. There's always going to be wholeness. Victory will never be won by death. It'll always be won by Jesus. There's no such thing as the end in the kingdom of God. Isn't that good? So we can endure this type of pain because we know that our God went before us and endured even more. It's an empty tomb, y'all. You worship a king. That, that Colossians 1 Jesus, who's spinning the cosmos in one hand, keeping your atoms together in the other. Don't you think he cares? And he's powerful enough to restore anything that's been busted, including a church. So I'm going to end with this. We've got a community of suffering servants. This is the final thing. So we've got these descriptions. Reconciled relationships, Faithful and flawed leaders, and finally suffering servants. So here's the description of Nympha in verse 15. Her name is dropped. Archicopus is dropped. Nympha, probably, she's, she's just mentioned, by the way, no husband mentioned. 
So she's probably a single woman, perhaps a widow. What one scholar has said, Sam Storm said, her name being mentioned is testimony to her courage, her capacity to bear an immense spiritual and physical burden, and especially her willingness to subject herself to persecution and slander. You got Archicopus as well, that whatever was going on, Paul needed to specifically tell him, keep going. I know it's hard, keep going, keep going. And then you have Paul himself putting his signature at the end here. And while he's writing his name to show, hey, I'm really, I really care about y'all. Uh, he had someone dictating it, but he paused and he grabbed the pen and he's writing his name down. As he's doing it, his chains are probably ringing as he's doing it. That's why it's probably so short too, because it was probably tough to do as he's chained up. And he's looking at him and he's saying, remember these things. Not because I need to get out. Okay, Colossians 1.24 says it's a joy for him to suffer. Notice his prayer request wasn't get me out of prison. I don't see this prison as a barrier. I don't see it as an obstacle. I see it as an opportunity. Okay? Now, this persecution here, he's saying, remember it. It's coming for you. And hey, y'all, it's coming for you. Remember, it's not super great to be associated with this mess. And also, she would not be surprised. Listen, I contribute to the jacked upness of the church. I make things worse sometimes by my presence because what do you expect from a group of sinners coming together all the time? But what's crazy is we got the power to forgive. We got the power to grind. We got the power to endure. We got the power to flip things on its head, to be able to say there's no conflict too great, no brokenness too deep, no heaviness too heavy to keep us from continuing that incredible good work of the glory of God. And here's what's also backwards. The Lord will use persecution, marginalization. It's not good to be a Christian right now. It doesn't help you get credibility in a neighborhood. For me, it's one of the last things sometimes I bring up in a conversation that I'm a pastor because often it's a conversation killer rather than starter, right? It's hard, but the Lord uses persecution to amplify his mission. Okay, I'm going to end with this story. Rise of Christianity, uh, Rodney Stark. Uh, he wrote this book about the first and second Christian movement, first and second century Christian movement, right after Acts, okay? He just writes this historical, and he asks this question. How in the world did the church grow when everyone was getting killed by the Romans? One of the biggest explosions was post the apostles, first and second century, it just went like a wildfire. What in the world was going on? And it was this, as he studied it. There was massive persecution. Everyone would go into urban centers, was primarily where things were happening. Okay? And these Christians would live among these Romans who hated them, who would decapitate them, who would hound them and throw them in prison. Okay? They'd live among these people, because it was better to live in the city than live off on your own. Okay? So they were in these horrible things. But the other thing that would happen is when a plague would hit, Okay? They would hit urban centers incredibly hard. And all of the wealthy Romans would leave and start other cities and get into healthier places. And they would just close down the city and let the city rot with that plague. Guess who would stay? The Christians. They would then grab their neighbors who were trying to kill them as they're sick in their beds and nurse them back to health. And while they're doing so, they'd be sharing the gospel with them. And so these people would survive the plagues and they'd come out as Christians. 
All because these Christians looked at persecution and difficulty and suffering as opportunity and amplification for the gospel to go forth. A community that suffers together and experiences persecution together gets amplified by the Holy Spirit. That's a powerful, that's our legacy, y'all. We can step, the Christian can step into brokenness and death and still have hope and joy all at the same time because that is the cross. It is brokenness and death and beauty and joy. It's simultaneously the worst thing that's ever happened in human history and simultaneously the greatest, most beautiful thing that's ever happened in human history. Lament and hope all in one. We can do it. We buckle up. We look at brokenness and we say, that's our jam. We jump into that space. And then as people look at us, okay, we're, I'm going to go all the way back. This, no, this is for real, for real. I'm out. Uh, this is how... We believers, this is our hope. This is what we're looking for. This is, what, this is what gets us going. All the way back to Golden State Warriors, okay? Bring it all the way back. They threw just a massive party. I doubt they're going to have another one this year, okay? They're so bad. But at the end, when you win a finals, like, man, winning that victory is great. That victory celebration seems to be even better. Because the whole city, the whole Bay Area came out in droves around this team. They are crying. They're freaking out. They are throwing parties. A whole city, like millions of people freaking out. Like, 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 like united together, celebrating together, joyfully involved together. Get this, for a game they didn't play. For a victory that they didn't win. They didn't throw up one shot to to make the Golden State Warriors win that basketball game. But here's the whole Bay Area losing their minds, celebrating the victory that was won on their behalf. Y'all, that's us. You know this. You didn't toss up one shot that went in. You didn't do one dribble that brought the ball down the court. You didn't do one thing except be on the team, be a fan, place your hope in that one King Jesus won the victory for us right? He is actually that hero that wins your game for you. He is the one dude that can step up, the true hero ball maker, that can win the entire victory for all of us. That unites all of us together in glory. That's our King Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the good news of the gospel that, oh, although we experience brokenness in this life, although we as a community designed to faithfully be on mission fail in our instructions, are described in this way, busted up, broken, unfaithful. But Lord, thank you for being faithful. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for winning the victory for us. God, we just pray. I pray for this congregation here, Lord. I pray that you would fill them by your spirit, full of prayer, desiring to faithfully live on mission and community together. Jesus, you never gave up on us or on your bride. May we never do the same. Lord, do a good work in this place. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Pray a blessing upon them. And we thank you for King Jesus, the one who won the victory for us. Praise in Christ's name. Amen.